And welcome to episode 105 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, we form our own government and square off against each other to determine who's the most masculine in our review of the new Apple Plus documentary, Boy State. But first, how are you, Scott? Uh, Apple TV Plus, I think, documentary. But uh, I'm surprised you leave out that this this is an A24 production as well. This is technically (laughs) an A24 produced film. But no, I'm, I'm doing well. We uh, are navigating a slightly upset puppy tonight. So if you hear any background noise, it is Charlie. Yes, uh, hopefully we can we can avoid that. But hey, uh, these are these are the things that uh, that we have to deal with from time to time. So I'm sure that our dog loving listeners will will understand the pain. But yeah, uh, with that, Scott, I think I I appreciate, you know, the first two things out of your mouth on the episode being correcting me. Um, But, you know, that's how that's how we uh, that's how we do here on. on Was I correcting you? I was just I was just adding on. Yeah, they were both fair corrections. Um, But uh, yes, an Apple TV plus documentary uh, produced by A24, Boy State. Uh, Boy State is an eye opening look at an annual summer camp for teenage boys sponsored by the American Legion. The documentary, directed by Jesse Moss and Amanda McBain, specifically turns its eye on a recent Texas iteration of Boy State, attended by over 1,000 adolescent males. The concept of the camp is simple. Over the course of a week, the boys will attempt to form their own government by electing officials, proposing legislation, and making persuasive speeches before their fellow campers. In their film, Moss and McBain take the approach of documentaries like Spellbound and American Teen by profiling four specific members of the camp. There's Ben, a bilateral amputee who wants to kickstart a career of public service. Robert, a homebred Texas boy with military service in his future. Steven, a soft-spoken, progressively-minded Hispanic teen trying to fit in with the rowdy bunch at Boy State. And Renee, an outspoken leader who has to struggle with racial prejudice to get through to the masses at the camp. Through these stories, Moss and McBain look to shed light on greater issues within the American political system by highlighting the early experiences of these young adults. Scott, is Boy State a refreshingly relevant commentary on the juvenility of American politics, or is it a doomsday prophecy prophecy devoid of any original ideas? I think that the way you describe it there starting out is in the kind of the comparison of the two things around is it, you know, this really like insightful, relevant look at today's political society, or is it a, you know, juvenile take on, on these things is an interesting one because I think that when I was watching this film, and I'll just, I was going to save this comment till later, but I'll just start with it because I think that it's, it's sure. kind of consumed my thought on it is, is that this really feels like, and I did, and I, I guess I'll back up even further than that. I actually went to Boise State mm-hmm. in, in 20, in 2012, the 2012 iteration in Tennessee. And I honestly, it was eight years ago at this point. I don't super remember it very, very well. I, I wouldn't say that it was a very impactful experience that I had uh, overall, but looking back on it now and, and also, of course, watching this documentary, I think one of the things that comes to mind is that this is just a really humane take, um, like a humane modern take on the political system for something that was done 
a long time ago, a psychological experiment called the Stanford Prison Experiment, which probably a lot of people are familiar with, although maybe not intimately familiar with. But this really feels like you're dropping in 1,100 or whatever the number was boys in Texas. And this happens all across the country. I think it happens in almost every state, if, if not every state. Um, and what you see is you get this sort of backdrop of, you know what, you're all here. You probably don't know anyone. You may know one or two people, but we're going to randomly divide you up into districts and cities and political parties within those districts and cities. You have to form and you have to form your own government full stop. And it's like, what's going to happen? What kind of personality are these people going to take on? And what I think you see happen is to some extent, I think very similar to what you see happen in this sort of experience or sorry, experiment around conformity to these people's ideals of what they believed prison guards and prisoners were in the Stanford prison experiment. And it's really interesting. And the thing that I just can't escape, and I, and I think that you can take this for what it's worth. I don't think it's one of the beautiful things about this film is I don't think it, it makes a judgment for you. It just leaves you to put together the pieces and make your own judgment on what you think of all this. And I think that what it puts together is this idea of like, you're dropping in 1100 16 year old, 17 year old boys into this area. And what are they going to do when they're asked to become political leaders when they're asked to form a government what are they going to do and the answer to that question which isn't necessarily particularly surprising once you see it on screen but maybe you wouldn't really know what to expect at first is that they imitate the leaders in politics of society today and i think that is really profound honestly i think it's a really really profound thing to think about that these boys for the most part or at least to some extent in all of them are really just trying to be the leaders that they've grown up watching and most particularly you know, and most immediately uh, you know proximate to them these people in local texas politics which some people may be more or less familiar with and then of course on the national level as well with you know the current trump administration because this is 20 i think it was the 2018 boys state in texas if i caught that correctly in the documentary yeah. but it, it it was honestly scott it was really fascinating to think about from a much more critical lens um and then think back about my experience at Boy State as well, what that looked like. And I think it's a really impressive documentary, frankly. I think it's really impressively um, pieced together because, I mean, these guys must have had thousands and thousands of hours of footage because there's no way they were just following these four kids, right? They, right. Um, yeah. I know that it narrowed down pretty quickly when these people became like the clear frontrunners and stuff, but they must have been following a lot more kids who mm -hmm. were contending for these positions. And obviously, it's easy to kind of cast a lot of that uh, footage aside once you realize these are the relevant people. But I think that what happens and, and the kids they follow and the stories they tell and the interviews that they get out of them are really candid in a way that I actually kind of found surprising for what it was. Yeah. And uh, I and we'll talk more specifically about some of those, some of that candor, I think a little bit later on. But overall, I find this to be kind of like an under the radar, really profound documentary to some people, when they watch it, maybe like, oh, of course, this is what's going to happen. But I don't necessarily think it's as intuitive, uh, like many psychological experiments. They sound really intuitive after you know what they, you know, after you know what the results are. But in terms of predictions, you might not always be able to predict that that well. And so, what they're able to piece together, uh, the way that they were able to tell that story from a kind of, it's, it felt like, although it's not in reality this way, a very hands-off perspective because yeah. they, they ultimately chose what to show, but they made it feel like they were pretty hands-off and and un, you know, non-judgmental. I'll say that. Um, and I found that really a really refreshing and profound view on this idea of, you know, we're talking about future leaders of the U.S. all the time about, you know, the, the future leaders of America are going to be the ones who like save the country, however you want to think about it. Right. And that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But in reality, what you have is when you put kids who are interested in this type of stuff in that situation, what are they doing? 
They're just imitating the leaders that we already have. And I think that's a really interesting thing to think about. And, and obviously has really profound implications in the long run, uh, especially when you think about these these current trends and standards of politics in society that have changed, I think, pretty dramatically in the last decade uh, when these kids were growing up. So I think there's a lot to think about, a lot to talk about, and a lot to reflect on coming out of this documentary. Yeah, no, I was going to comment on the same thing about the hands-off approach because I think it works really well, right? Like there, there's this, yes, they have like the interview footage and stuff like that, but for the most part, there's a really naturalistic, like, we're just going to set the camera down and like, we, we don't have any sort of agenda. We're just going to let like what happens play out in front of, you know, the camera. And I think that works so well because like, you know, to your point, there's just like some incredibly profound moments that just come out of nothing, right? Like when you're not expecting it, it's not anything like manufactured by the documentarians or anything. There's like, it's just like conversations. Like I'll give you one example here. I mean, we'll talk about more examples, but like when Robert, right. The, the one kid from, you know, the, the long hair yeah, he uh, he is like deciding what slogan he wants to use for his campaign. And he said the the he starts out with a moral and constitutional government for all. Right. And they're telling him, no, that's not catchy enough, blah, 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 blah. blah. And then he just switches it to what about moral government for all? He completely throws out the constitutional part of it and leaves the moral part in. And I was like, there's something really like interesting and telling about that, uh, that little thing, whether, you know, that was intentional or not, or whether he just kind of subliminally did that. I think that says something, but, um, but yeah, I, I was blown away by this. This is my favorite film of the year. It's my first five-star movie on Letterboxd. I absolutely love it. Um, I think that it really doesn't put, take much, take many wrong steps, uh, along the way. And I think, yeah, it's, it's a very empathetic portrayal of, of all these four kids. I mean, yes, you're going to have kids that are your favorites and, uh, you know, that you don't like as much for sure. But I think they find the, the humanity within each one of these kids. And it, it almost like, like you're saying, they, they seem to be going after the system or the people who are running the system now more than they are the, you know, any, any particular, you know, teenager at this camp, um, which is obviously the, the right approach, I think. Um, even though by the end, there's, there's at least one person who you don't really like very much. Um, but um, I, yeah, I, I found the portrayal of all the kids really interesting. I found them all really distinct and interesting personalities. I think in the case of multiple, you know, of the kids, they, their arcs sort of go in directions you're not expecting. Like, I, th I think the filmmakers really play off of their first impressions of that, that you have of these kids, like the first impressions that they give you of these kids, everybody's going to have first impressions of each one of them. And then I think the filmmakers really do a good job of subverting what you, maybe where you expect those uh, kids to go. I think Robert is, is a good example of this in particular. Um, but yeah, I, I was very impressed. I think this movie absolutely gets it in terms of what the problem is. Well, I mean, what the problems pl plural are right now with the political system, like you said, mirroring the behavior of, you know, older politicians, but also, you know, I went into this thinking, oh, this is going to be really depressing to watch. Like this is going to be a, a, you know, a sad state of affairs talking about American politics and they're indoctrinating all of these boys and stuff like that. And I don't think that that was the emotion that I had coming out of it really. Yes, there are some parts that are, are you know, very upsetting to watch, honestly, uh, when, when some of the boys say certain things. Um, but I think that there's a, and absolutely there's an inspiring element to, to what's going on here. Um, 
particularly with Steven, right? And the fact that through complete sincerity and honesty and in, in the way that he runs his campaign, he is able to get through to a lot of people, right? And Robert, the guy who is doing the blustery posturing, you know, that you see from conservative politicians primarily nowadays, um, he doesn't win, right? He loses big to, to Stephen, the guy who just comes up there and speaks from his heart, even though he is, you know, he's probably doesn't match up with the political ideology of a lot of the people that voted for him. And so in the primary, yeah, in the primary, in the primary course, for yeah. Part uh, but I think there is something hopeful about that, right? The, the fact that, you know, Robert has this whole thing. I mean, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, I guess, but about how, you know, you got to lie to, um, like, I don't actually believe what I'm saying, but you got to lie. You got to give the people what they want to hear. And like, I, I think I was like, yeah, I understand where he's coming from on that. But I think that the the votes that eventually happen in this election, right? Like they're, they're in the primary, they're more encouraging, right? They suggest that there is still some part of kids who understand sincerity and who appreciate sincerity and honesty. There's that part of, uh, there, there's still that part in a lot of these teens at this point in their lives. Um, and that, our goal should be to feed into that, right? To, to, you know, take back the system and say, Hey, these are the things that we should be valuing. We should, um, we should be looking at who is, who is, you know, sincere and honest uh, and running their campaign in a way that is true to who they are and not someone who is just, you know, posturing from the pulpit and, and saying exactly what their people want to hear, whether they believe it or not. And so I found that it was a lot more optimistic than I was than I was expecting, even though, yes, it absolutely exposes the the American political system. Like, like I said in my letterbox review, this makes me think of the uh, the Bowling for Soup song, <laughs> High School Never Ends, because I think this movie is about how maybe high school never ends, at least not in the world of American politics. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting take on everything, right? Like what it's showing you is, I mean, feels and probably is for the most part fairly authentic. The problem is when, and to, I think this is to your point, right? Like, when people are asked to become these things or when people do become these things, even enter the, enter the sphere, right? There's all, there's all these preconceived notions of what it means or what you have to do to be a politician, to be successful. And I think some of the, some of those, you know, things that they uncover as those things is that like, you have to appeal, like you have to not even necessarily, I mean, so in some cases violate your beliefs, but your beliefs don't matter because you just have to pander. Yeah. to as many people as you can, which, and, and Robert like almost feels like a caricature of that. Cause he literally talks about how he's actually, what is it? Like he's pro choice or something like that. Yeah. That's exactly and he is. just yeah. refuses to talk about that or like blatantly lies about it when it comes up because he, he doesn't feel like people can like, that's a palatable position to have and be successful in this particular you know situation that boy state is. Yeah, no, no, totally. I think that that's a, a huge, I mean, that's kind of the point I was getting at because then he goes on to talk about, right. Yeah. I'm going to, I just, I'm going to lie up there because of, you know, what, what I think I perceive the people, what these kids want to hear. And yes, like when I, again, when I heard that the first time I'm like, yeah, unfortunately, I think that's where we are right now. I think that is what our politicians do, but I was given some hope for sure by, by the ultimate result of that. But Scott, I think the, uh, the way to structure this conversation, because, you know, it's, this is not a typical film, it's a documentary. Um, so we can't talk about like the cast and stuff like that, but I think let's just go through each one of the four kids and, and talk about, you know, sort of what we got out of these characters and, you know, what, what we saw in this character. And we've talked a little bit about Robert. So why don't we start there? Right. Like this, this kid is like, when you first see him, he is kind of the, 
what you think of as like the archetypical archetypal like Trump supporter. That's that's how he looks. That's the way he like presents himself. He's very like he fits in with the like rowdy crowd at the at Boy State. You know, the kids who are going around chanting and all this stuff. You know, boys being boys um, for for lack of a better phrase. Like that is him. He is the homegrown Texas boy. But then he has to me like maybe the most interesting, you know, progression of anyone in this film because of what we're talking about. Right. We you know, it's revealed that he, you know, is kind of covering up what his true beliefs are. And also, like he comes to really appreciate Stephen. Right. A guy that maybe he doesn't. I mean, OK, he's pro-choice. Maybe that means he's more liberal on everything. But maybe he doesn't share a lot of political beliefs with Stephen. And he certainly doesn't share the same economic like socioeconomic background as Stephen. Um but he comes to really like appreciate this guy who was very, very different from him, who was very soft spoken, comes from a different background, like I said, and by the end is like a, a big Steven supporter. Uh, and so I found his arc really interesting. And I just would be interested to hear if you have any other thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I think, look, Rob's arc is interesting because I. I didn't find it interesting, frankly, at first. I thought yeah. it was going to be the stereotype that you're describing. And then it does kind of come out of nowhere, right? Where he talks about this political belief that he has. And then even in his interview or on, I don't remember if it was in one of his interviews or whether it was just like naturally happening on screen. He's talking about how he's thinking about just pulling out yeah. after letting Stephen yeah. have it and just giving him his like vote of confidence, basically. And I think it's really interesting to to see that, right? Because it's not what you expect, first off. And it's one of these things where, you know, why you know why is he doing this if this isn't just like what he believes and what he feels? And, all, and to know that there are people who feel like they need to operate in these ways but still feel that way inside is like simultaneously hopeful. But is it also more depressing too? I don't know. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm kind of mixed on how to feel about it because, yes, he ultimately, I think, quote unquote, does the right thing or whatever and like – Yes, he doesn't t totally back out of the race, but when he loses, he endorses him and it gets like really behind him, becomes really close with him, supports him, things like that. And that's what you want to see, I think, in this situation. So in that sense, it is hopeful. But to think about, you know, how far he went and how aggressively he went about these things in the way that he did, yeah. only to then talk, you know, about how he truly feels when no one else is, you know, none of his peers really are watching is... um. Yeah, like I said, it's disheartening at the same time. So it's it's hard to know exactly how to feel because I feel like, when you take when you broaden things out and you take things in a wider scope, when politicians act the way that they do, even if they feel that way inside, and even ultimately after they lose, they go and support someone who they really believe in and things like that. The damage feels like it's kind of done, right? Like the like the cult following you've you found, I think it it very rarely transfers over to that person you endorse and the uh, other people that you act. I mean, maybe I'm off base here, but I think that it's unfortunate that they go about things the way that they do because I feel like the damage is done by the way that you act and not what happens yeah. after the cameras and, and are off. But I don't know how to feel. Like I said, it, it's, I don't know how to feel. It's not, I don't know how to feel in a bad way. It's, I don't know how to feel like, Hmm, this is again, kind of profound. And I mean, maybe not profound is the right word there, but it's, it's, uh, it's a thinker. Yeah. Because even though Robert, like, you know, he says, he talks about how he lied or whatever, and, and he makes a, you know, a very good point when he does. So I think that um, I, I was still doubting his sincerity a little bit. I was like, is he just saying that he was actually her choice and making up this whole thing for the camera, right? Because right. he's concerned about how they're going to present him. 
Um, that's fair. I think that's totally fair. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it is too. But Scott, this whole thing, it reminded me a little bit of like recently in Tennessee, we had a GOP primary and there were these two candidates. Um, there was Bill Haggerty and uh, Manny Sethi were the, the two GOP candidates who were running against each other. Yeah. And, and this made national news. Like this was regularly in the New York Times as well. Yeah, well, so like at the beginning of the campaign, right? Like Haggerty was the big Trump, 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 Trump. Like, you know, he's mentioning how Trump supports him. Trump like endorsed him multiple times on social media and stuff like that. And Sethi was kind of the like, I'm going to be the alternative to the conservative alternative to that. Like he didn't really like mention Trump, blah, 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 blah. blah. Um, and by the end of the campaign, right, Sethi had in his commercials supports President Trump. Uh, and it's kind of like, do I actually think he supports President Trump? I don't know, because there was also, a, you know, an article that I read in The New York Times by Elena Plot that was talking about how um, they. Yeah, I read this article. too. Both of these guys, both of these guys, even Haggerty, like come more from the Bush conservative side of things, like definitely not the Trump conservative side of things. And, you know, the people who like they had known in their lives up to that point, who knew them very closely and personally talked about how they didn't really understand the campaigns that they were running or that the campaigns they were running were inconsistent with their past behavior and the beliefs that they held. And I mean, I think, I think that's exactly what this whole thing is getting at. The fact that politicians say what they, they want to, you know, they think the people want to hear. And maybe to your point, right? Like maybe, you know, Bill Haggerty gets in office. Like, do we honestly think that now that he's in office, he's going to say, okay, I was just kidding about that whole Trump thing. Now I'm going to put in my, you know, compassionate conservative, whatever you want to call it, like the Bush conservative wing. Uh, now I'm, now I'm going to, I'm not, I'm not going to support Trump. I'm going to be the the guy that I have been for the, re- the, you know, previous years. No, I don't think so. Because the only thing politicians care about nowadays, it seems like is getting reelected. And so I think right now in Tennessee, that means, you know, pandering to the Trump crowd. And so it really doesn't matter in the, at the end of the day, what you believe in your heart, right. About your, your policies. If you're yeah. not stating those and you're not acting on those, when you get in office, who cares? Like you're, you're yeah. just as bad as the hardcore Trumpers from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, the only thing, I guess the only scenario in which what you just described isn't true is second, is second term presidents, right? They don't have to get reelected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're the only politicians who don't have to get reelected or of course people who declare they're just retiring at the end of their, um, at the end of their term. But what that happens after someone's in office for 10, <laughs> 10 terms yeah. so at that point, what, is it, what are you really going to do with your last couple of years, right? right. Uh, so no, I think it's absolutely right. And it's one of the many things that's probably broken about our system is that people care so much, of course, about being reelected because it's worth so much, right? Not just in terms of political and social capital, but money, right? Like being employed yeah, by right. the government, uh, things like that. Like they, like that's that's it. And the, and it just it, it makes the obviously this isn't this is not a profound statement, but it obviously makes the uh, incentives really perverse there um, because they have to continue to bend over backwards and twist themselves into pretzels to pander and um, garner the votes of as many people as possible. And I think what you see these days in the era of polarizing politics is that it's pretty freaking hard to please everyone and get the votes you need because everyone has a slightly different opinion and everyone, you know, feels like the, I mean every everyone feels like I have to agree with someone hundred percent to not just roast them. Um yeah. And so that is what these kids are afraid of. I don't think you see any evidence really of that happening uh in the in the documentary. I mean maybe that did happen right. And you could say that it's not a perfect one to one comparison here because 
ultimately most of these kids, regardless of their political party, are conservative. Like both these parties probably share like 90% of the same political beliefs, if not more. And and so a lot of these like policy decisions are happening on the margin. And therefore maybe people are a little bit more nervous to have a outlier opinion like a, you know, tighter gun control like the I mean they brought up March for Our Lives so many times uh, on this thing, whether the pro-choice yeah. thing as well. It's like man, it's really difficult. And I think that in many ways, forget the primaries part of the Boise State. I think this almost feels like a conservative primary. It, it feels like ultimately like Stephen and is it Eddie? I think is the other kid's name. Yeah, Eddie, are like yeah. are like really just like the second round of primaries because they're just both. I mean, ultimately they're both conservative, right? Like I know technically, um, technically I think Stephen is a, a Democrat or liberal, but I mean he calls him more progressive in the beginning of the film. So, yeah. And he's speaking at the Texas Dems concert yeah. in the credits. Uh -huh. Um, but anyway, and he had like a Beto shirt on, I think too. But, yeah, he did. That's right. When he gets, yeah. But I think ultimately, like, he's still fairly like if you put him on the scale of things nationally these days, he'd still come out as well. Yeah, as I mean, liberal, if you're if you're supporting conservative, Beto, then yeah, like that. That's not as far as you could be going on the on the. That's more of the establishment wing on the left, I would say. So right, uh, exactly. So to my so yeah. I, all the all that's to say is that there's just so much energy it feels like put into subverting your like controversial opinions that you have right controversial to the specific audience you're 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 speaking to and there's so much energy in like trying to spin that and work around that that it's like it, i think it's really exhausting to think about like this is this is so accurate to what like political races feel like and like, this is the point that you're making like it's so exhausting to hear how these people try to talk the, talk themselves around um these again these like controversial opinions that they have that they have to defend and and that shouldn't be controversial and exactly like, yeah exactly the, the gun control thing is crazy to me right because they're using the fact that steven attended a march for his life march for our lives protest as like an attack on him as a hit point on him and like yeah are you serious like the kid is marching because he doesn't want kids in schools to be killed anymore like how is that a bad thing how is that a thing that he should be attacked for he wants to take your guns, man. I don't know. Um, but over, overall, yeah, yeah, it's it's again, I don't know if it if it feels really profound in retrospect because it does seem a little bit intuitive. But I feel like in, in the moment when it's really just kind of washing over, you're like, man, when you really think about it, it's exhausting to think about. This is what politics is like. Yeah. Um, and there's probably a reason why we have the politicians that we have, because they're able to push through that exhaustion um, and keep on keeping on right and have these cults of personalities like eddie has um some of the descriptions of eddie that like rob had in particular hero, yeah <laughs> but, oh my god when i heard that i was like man that is not someone i'd want to be compared they were to using it as a compliment yeah but yeah because uh, it was ben right ben was yeah. well, ben was saying that he was being like compared to attacks but um no i no actually that was that was a really funny moment because uh because he said like he looks he acts like ben shapiro he he uh he knows the facts or he brings the facts or at least he presents as if he's knowing the facts. And I was like, no, that's Ben Shapiro right there. But uh, yeah. but the last thing I'll say about Robert is I think there was just a really haunting image at one point when he gets up to make his original speech. I don't know if you like really noticed this or not, Scott, but yes, when he Garcia. Up, yeah. Well, not that. That I mean, that was his like second speech. But yeah, that was bad too. The fact that he said Garcia. But there's an image of like when he gets up to do his first speech, his initial speech in front of the auditorium, and he gets up there and the crowd is kind of like being a little restless and so yeah. he puts his hand up oh yeah, in the yeah air yeah. like this to i mean he's silencing them but like they're behind like the filmmakers i mean they're they know what they're doing right they're they're behind him and all you see is this you know 
classic like white bread American kid with basically a Hitler salute in the air in front of a whole auditorium of mostly white kids. And that was like, that yeah. was kind of a terrifying image, even though like, I know that that it's an extreme comparison and it probably wasn't what he was intending to convey, but still like, no, I think he's trying, he's trying to throw his, his authority, right. And, and yeah. show that he can quiet a crowd down, but uh, yeah, in retrospect with a specific image, maybe he regrets that a little bit. I'm sure he regrets a lot of stuff, but um, <laughs> let's move on. Scott, Ben is another kid I want to talk about. Cause I think this is the kid in the end who you feel like if you're going to vi- make, call someone the villain, right? Like this is him. Um, and it's so interesting because he doesn't start out that way, right? He starts out like, you know, you feel a little sympathetic for him. He's a bilateral amputee, right? Like he has this great little speech about the American dream and all this stuff and how he wants to achieve it. And he is another person who I think is sells out his principles as the camp goes on. Because at the very beginning, there's an interesting scene, right, where he is going yes, around bring this up. talking to people and he says, what's your like slogan to this or what's your campaign to this one guy? And he goes, freedom. And Ben makes a little sardonic joke about like freedom. Oh yeah. Like really meaningful platform. And then like two scenes later, right. He is making the say, he's saying like, like his campaign becomes like, I forget what his last name, but like Friedland for Feldstein. 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 Yeah. It was something with an F. It was like, uh, free, uh, Feldstein equals freedom. Like that's, that becomes his slogan. And like two scenes later, right. He's, he's adopting the exact same technique that he made fun of in this other kid. And, you know, we just see it spiral downwards as it goes on as he becomes sort of the campaign manager for Eddie operative 101 and he you know decides hey we're going to use a smear uh campaign and specifically we're going to accuse the other side of bias they're probably not biased but uh we're going to take something that they have done that could potentially in some world have the appearance of bias and we're just going to run with that and hammer that and you know try to make that that party's constituents lose um, you know, lose faith in them. And that's exactly, I feel like what Trump does with the media today, right? Like he, he takes, you know, maybe one instance or two instances where um, CNN or whoever does something that, you know, someone might perceive as biased and he turns that into a full scale. We need to, you know, get rid of these people. You are fake news, like throwing people out of the press room at the white house. Like, again, uh, uh, just watching all of this, I was like, I have seen this played out in our country the last few years, this exact same, exact thing. And, you know, in the end, it works out for Ben, right? Because Eddie wins. Yeah. Backing up a little bit about Ben and, and touching more on some of those moments in that first scene that you're talking about, you know, not only is he saying freedom. Wow. What a, what a political stance you have there. That's going to be, it's going to be a, a really controversial, controversial one to the, I don't remember the exact joke he's making, but it's something to that effect. And he's the one, cause originally he wants to run for governor. Like he wants to run for governor yeah. and he's walking around and he's saying, oh, you're already asking me for my signature. Like, how am I supposed to give you a signature? Like, I don't even know. Like, you're campaigning for signatures already. I don't even like, what do you even stand for? How do you even know what you stand for yet? And they're like, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Like, I stand for whatever the party stands for. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, what do you stand for? And he becomes like, he just becomes the ultimate party man at, yeah. the end of, at the end of the day. And one thing I found interesting is that like he... I feel like that first day, that first afternoon where he's given that chance, of course, to like start campaigning for governor and he realizes this is not what I'm cut out for. It's inter- It's so interesting because it's almost just like he bends himself into that system, right? Like he realizes that he doesn't have the cult of personality that, you know, someone like an Eddie or even a Steven, uh, you know, or a Rob might have, right? And so he's going to be your Steve Bannon. He's going to be, 
your Kellyanne Conway, like he kind of all, kind of wanted like kind of all those people that you might think of, you know, around and behind Trump kind of meshed into one. Like he's going to be your Stephen Miller or someone like that. And I think it's a really interesting thing to kind of really it, it just really feels like watch him devolve. I think I was a little bit less positive on him at the beginning of the year because I remember his like the opening speech he gives, which I know is like it has to be like after the fact, right? There's no way they got tape of him before. Like actually talking before, but talking after, I mean, at the beginning of the documentary, talking about how, you know, his story and him coming to Boise State and things like that and having the speech about what he thinks politics is and what it means to him and things like that. Yeah, I was like, hmm, this is interesting. Like, this is an interesting kid. He's obviously, I mean, he's a little bit inspiring for, of course, his background and context, but he's saying some like, you know, really, I don't know, cynical or uh, I don't even know what the right word is, like insidious things, I feel like, about how he's going to. Yeah. how what it takes to operate because he's very much the archetype of win at any cost right yeah. like i'm going to do everything i have to to win and i and i think you see that sort of the honest part of him around wanting to understand who he's like signing up like signing a governor's um like signature for if it, whatever he's doing like he wants to do that honestly at first but literally like you said two scenes a day and um, you know 12 hours later he's completely sold himself uh into the system and like any chance of some sort of like you know, true, honest, compelling, you know, authentic experience for him being a politician feels like he learns his lesson in you know the snap of a finger and switches gears completely into this sort of operative that immediately starts to emulate the people that he can think of as like, who is successful and how do you be successful? Mm -hmm. All right, that's what I'm going to be. And that's what I'm going to do. And even if it's a little bit wrong, I'm going to tell myself it's fine. I'm going to say that Renee meant, like, I know how he operates. I know he meant it. He meant it this way. Uh, being cynical like you'd expect someone in the Trump camp to be you know whether he's saying that for the camera or not or to justify himself what, what he truly believes doesn't really matter because it's the persona he's putting on and he's a really interesting case study because I think for the most part he is a very likable character at first but he goes downhill pretty quickly when he started talking about back the blue or whatever that's when I was out uh, but yeah. um yeah but yeah, no, he's 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 very very interesting to watch uh, over the course of the movie for sure. And um, he's probably the most compelling, like the most in, like most interesting character. I think yeah. Stephen is maybe the most compelling, but Ben is probably the most interesting to watch. Yeah, um, and you know, a, a kid like Stephen, I guess to transition onto Stephen, it makes you wonder, right? If Ben had stuck to his guns at the beginning, if he had stuck to his principles. And he had gone for governor and he'd gotten up there and spoken from the heart like Stephen did. You know, maybe he doesn't have the the cult of personality, right? Like like somebody like Robert at least thinks they do. But I mean, I don't see Stephen as that kind of person either, right? Like I think he's a total antithesis to that whole thing. Like he's he's so he's such an antithesis to almost everyone else that we see, even in small clips of like running for stuff and proposing insane legislation and all this stuff like yeah. he is so soft-spoken but then he gets up there and he gives that first speech and he just like comes alive and you're just like whoa like where did this come from because yeah those speeches he gives are actually man they're really something he, he gets up there and you're like oh man i'm worried for this kid like he stuttered a little bit like he's stuttering a little bit at the beginning like is he going to be able to make it through this he doesn't really fit in or whatever and then all of a sudden yeah he just like he gets the whole room chanting his name and all this stuff and it's it's really cool to watch i i thought he was uh he was definitely a likable character for sure and they oh yeah definitely want you you know to he's the to hero feel something for him he is the hero i will say one thing which i was a little like 
he has this really weird monologue about how he idolizes Napoleon. He's like, of all the, yeah, the that was interesting too. figures in history, the person I like admire the most is Napoleon. And he goes on and talks about like, oh, his leadership qualities or whatever. But I'm like, and dude, you can't, just like, you can't just like ignore all of the terrible stuff that Napoleon did. Like he was awful. But I thought that that was just a really strange moment because otherwise that doesn't seem like him at all. Um, I think also part of it was his background, like his middle-class background and things like that. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah no, I think he's, he's, he's inspiring to watch. Like, again, the fact that he sticks to his, his principles throughout, you know, the whole gun control thing, he's kind of maybe Robert puts a little bit of pressure on him to like, you know, to, to not, give his full opinion or something on, on gun control or whatever. But, you know, he turns out to not have a super controversial opinion, right? Like he, he doesn't shocking. Yeah. He, 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 he says he's pro gun, right? Like he self-describes as pro gun. He just thinks there needs to be common sense measures or whatever. But, um, but yeah, like I, I think that he's, he's a very likable character. And again, I, I really was, it gave me some hope. The fact that, you know, he speaks from the heart, he makes it as far as he does. And, seeing the reactions of the other kids to him, right? Like people were like crying at the end when he lost and like, you know, coming up and hugging him and telling him that they, he inspired them and all this stuff. And, you know, these white bread kids, again, that were probably came in here as, as conservatives or whatever. I think that, and yeah, we can talk about what, what, you know, maybe what we think uh, Stephen's ideology actually is, but like, he's definitely, I think, uh, further left than most of the people at the the camp. And so I think that yeah, um, the fact that anyone on any side of the, the political spectrum can get these kids attention by being heartfelt suggests that there's, you know, still some hope. Yeah. I think there's a lot of promising things that you see in, in Steven's character, but it's also one of those things is like, I think characters in politics like Steven are so hard to come by yeah and like you see at the end of the day they don't win like that's i think one of the one of the most grounding things about this is that you have these heartfelt it reaches a lot of people and it doesn't get a result and that is probably yeah. where a lot of the mixed feel yeah. i mean even more of my mixed feelings come around like what the message of the movie is and that, what's the key takeaway and right and like it's because of the smear tactics that yeah. Ben uses, right? Because they you work. really get you really get the sense before that happens that Stephen is going to win, right? Like at least that's the impression that the. Yeah. I was going to say, to be gives, fair, we don't yeah. know that's what tipped the scale. Yes, but the, the filmmakers there do write a little bit of authorship and say this is this is probably yes. what drove the needle. Yeah, and cert and certainly the kids think so too. Like Ben thinks so, Eddie probably thinks so too. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's. Again, very telling, I think. Um, yeah. Best for last, in my opinion, Scott Renee um, yes. is awesome. Um, the intro when he makes the line about the intramural basketball team that killed me. Um, yeah, In insert super hot fire gif. This kid is an unbelievable speaker. Like I was not surprised at the end of the movie to see you yeah. know that he had a championship for extemporaneous speaking or like he does not seem like he's seventeen, right? Like when he is when he has those glasses on and he's like peering down over his glass, he looks like you're like sassy grandma. Like he honestly does. Like he yeah. Like he, he, he was so much more mature for his age, I think it, but I, the moment I love from him, right. Is when he's talking to some kid about, you know, the fact that he's maybe a little bit more progressive or whatever. He was like, I was worried when I came here that it was going to be all conservatives, whatever I wasn't going to fit in. He, and he's like, this is great. I think every liberal should do this. And I was like, yeah, like he might be right about that because like, this is the whole, like, 
you know, silent majority, whatever the whole, we talked about a little bit when we talked about irresistible, right? The fact that liberals have trouble connecting with middle-class America and have trouble pulling people who are in the middle or slightly on the right over to their side. And that's why they end up losing elections, even though like maybe they win the popular vote or they have more people supporting them or whatever. It's because they don't have these people in these specific areas who have specific priorities that liberals aren't focusing on or prioritizing or whatever. And so we have more voting power. Yes. I, I think that uh, he was definitely onto something with that comment. So I, I just thought he was uh, really smart. I like the fact that he wasn't able to, or that he was, he was uh, willing to clap back a little bit at, uh, you know, the, the bins or the bins and eddies of the world. You know, he goes after Eddie and the fact that he lost his voice after one day or whatever. I thought that was funny, but yeah, I thought he was, he was great. I, I don't know. Like the, I see too much, like a lot of super profound things with his character in the way that I do the other characters, because I think he comes out the most positive maybe of everybody. Um, But uh, I, I liked that they profiled him. I thought he was uh, a, you know, a a good, uh, he was distinct from the others still. Um, And even though he think in the way he was treated together. Yeah. Yeah. And and right, right. The whole racism element. Yeah. The The impeach thing too. Yeah. Yeah, the impeach the impeachment thing. Then they create this Instagram account that turns racist, right? Like, who could have predicted that? Or I mean, like Ben has the whole thing about how, oh well, as soon as they did something racist, we disassociated with them. And it's like, okay, fine, but like, could you not have anticipated this? Like, because he was using the Instagram account for his his advantage before that. Like, and you got to anticipate in a group of this size with this demographics that if you make an account that sole purpose is to go after a African-American kid, like it's and pretty impe- predictable. And impeach that, him from a position of power. That it's pretty predictable that it's going to go down this route. So I'm like... Also, you it, say with this demographic and this number of kids, Scott, I think that happens with any demographic. I mean, honestly. Sure, like, yeah. sure that, that's fair, that. but especially with this demographic. Um, well, no, I, and I mean that to say that like you say this demographic and it's also like you're absolutely right, 100%. But also, I, just, I don't know to your comment about does high school ever end earlier? I don't know if it'd be that different if yeah. in today's world too. I meant more like white. Like yes. I, I didn't mean, I didn't mean so much, mean so much their age, but yeah, like, um, oh, okay. Full fair enough. They come, most of them probably come from upper class backgrounds, stuff like that. But Certainly. yeah, when, when Ben makes that comment, I'm like, okay, fine. You disassociated cool for you, but like, you should have seen this coming. You should have known. I still think there's some blood on your hands for this, but Anyway, that that uh, it's opportunism and it's a dog whistle. Yeah, I don't know if I have too much else to add about Renee, but uh, I wish the best for him and whatever he does next. Well, uh, it seems like he's probably doing pretty well. Granted, he has to do yeah. school from home now, but he needs to be a, he needs to be an attorney like he honestly does. Like he speaks really well. He thinks on his feet very quickly. He's a good leader. He has a commanding presence. Like, I think he'd be a great attorney, but I don't know what he's going to do. Wouldn't surprise me if he ends up in politics, but you get law degrees usually. Not usually. Sometimes when you go into politics. That's fine, too. Don't worry. I'm not going into politics. Uh, <laughs> even I though I do have my law degree now. Um, anything else you want to add, Scott? I think that we've covered a lot. I, I think we've had a good discussion here. There's a very, I mean, this is a very, very interesting film. You could probably go on for another 30 minutes about, oh, you know, yeah. just certain lines and images again like i think the filmmakers do an amazing job of pulling the profound out of these unassuming moments when they're not even trying to like you know there there is such an element of good fortune about like this documentary like like the fact that they picked this year and 
yeah, okay, they picked the kids after the fact, probably, but like that all of the stuff that went on at I think they picked know, the kids while it happened. Okay, yeah, maybe. But all of yeah. the stuff that went on at Boy State went on while they were, you know, filming it. And okay, maybe yeah. this kind of stuff happens every year, but I feel like this has to be a unique year to to some degree, and that it is it again, it's fortunate on behalf of the filmmakers that they were there to see it all and fortunate, you know, that we get to see it all too, because I think there's a lot, a lot, a lot of truth in this thing. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, I don't know if I have too much more to add uh, that's any more insightful or profound than we've already talked about, but I will say this is that I really think that it's, um, it's impressive what they were able to do. Uh, I, you know, you talked about it being your first five star film of the year. I think this is one of those, I think this might be the first movie of the year where I'd recommend it to anyone. Like, yeah. Even and my top movies this year. Watch this movie, honestly, like yeah. it's, it's so important. My top movies. I mean, I might re- recommend Bad Education to anyone. To anyone, mm-hmm. I have to think about that. If there's a demographic that I wouldn't recommend it to, but this really does feel like a film that everyone can and 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 should watch if you can. And and it's entertaining as heck too. Like it yeah. it is like I mean I compare it to Spellbound and American Teen earlier. Like if you've seen those, it is on the exact same level as that in terms of entertainment value i mean this is incredibly watchable the hour and 50 minutes or whatever fly by at least they did for me yeah i i actually i don't know if i'd go as far to say is that it flies by but i think overall look i i don't know if it's a perfect documentary overall i think that again almost like with all things i think there are certain limitations to the approaches you make and i think one of the one of the approaches of, of going and the concepts of going to something like Boy State and telling stories in this way is that, I mean, they probably had a thousand times more footage than they actually used, right? Oh, yeah, sure. And there is definitely some, you know, choice involved, not just with choosing the, I mean, ultimately, I think they, they followed the people that made sense. I mean, they followed the people in the, in the positions of power who are rising to that power. But I'd be really curious, you know, why didn't we see more of Eddie and understand more about Eddie? And what was going on there? Like, I think there are some pieces of the puzzle missing, which I think would have been really interesting because i think ultimately eddie is portrayed as this sort of like i mean i think rob even calls him like he thinks he's this like godlike figure like there yeah. is no more like obvious comparison to someone like donald trump in in that moment in terms of like like words to describe someone in power and i think that i think that it's it, it's missing something there and i think it's missing something to not have to not better understand eddie when you have all these other pieces of the puzzle that i think are equally important to understand it's like i'm not saying i'd take anyone out of this group even to like put to like slot in uh, Eddie Eddie into into like the mix here. I mean, you could argue maybe Renee, but like he's such an entertaining and I still yeah. think an important character oh, totally. to understand to see how people treat him uh, yeah. to understand that element of, of the political landscape. But I I do think there are a couple things missing um, that hold this back a little bit for me. Um, and I actually wouldn't have minded so much if I felt like I got a, a little bit more. I don't want to say heavy handedness, but again, a little bit more authorship around certain things from the directors. I think overall it's the right choice to go 95% of the way that they did. Um, but again, I felt like there were just little things that might've been missing here and there. And the biggest one is that I think, cause we do get like one or two interviews of Eddie, but they just clearly left out a bunch of footage. Yeah. I was going to say, if there's one thing that I would point to as like a, a downside, I think it is right. That this kid who becomes like the other candidate for government, we don't know anything about him until after he's nominated, right? Like they say yeah. like, and the nominations, you know, you have Steven and then you have this kid, Eddie, and we're just like, who? Um, yeah. And they don't go super far to tell you who he is, except in what other people say about him, right? Like, we don't get the personal background on him in the way that we do really all of the other 
all the others that, that are profiled. So, um, yeah, I think I think that is maybe one area where it's missing something, but it's hard to complain when there's so much good stuff here. I agree. All right, favorite senior moment, Scott from Boise State. Man, there's it's, I feel like there's just so many moments. That you, you actually stole it, uh, picking the funniest moment here, which was Renee's clapback about the intramural basketball team. When you actually, because there's a lot, there's like a lot of tension going into this. Like, will because impeachment keeps coming up at every single like party meeting that they have. Like, like someone stands up and try to moves like for an impeachment. And I think he finally entertains it. Like Renee's like, you know, I just got to do this. I got to bite the bullet here and see what happens. And the response that that gets from the crowd is like this huge, like tension relief, right? When like some people stand up, some people sit down after they stand up for a little bit and it shakes out to 12 people stood up or whatever the number was um, that, that were moving for the impeachment. And of course it needs a majority to actually pass. Um, and so overall, there's this really loud vocal group who are persistently like impeach, impeach, impeach. And there's 12 of them when all is said and done. When when the money, when you know, when the, when the chips are on the table, there's 12 of them. I was just saying an intramural basketball team. And then he goes backstage and says to the guy, he's like, I'm glad that happened. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. And then, and then uh, yes, the, the chirp about um, an intramural, you should, go, I would recommend you guys go start an intramural basketball team was uh-huh. hilarious. That was absolutely spectacular line. So again, I think again, this, this film, I think naturally builds tension really easily because you're talking about elections and things like that. But in a moment like that, where you know, they're voting for an impeachment, uh, I think that it was kind of a surprisingly tense moment. And then the, the tension relief that happens, that release was really powerful as well. Yeah, no. And I think another moment that I'll pick for mine, because that might honestly be mine as well. Uh, would that in the similar vein, right? Tension relief, right? Is Steven's first speech for the reasons that I said earlier, like, look, you don't think this kid, like he has trouble getting the signatures. He's very soft-spoken. He comes from a different background. He has different political ideology than everybody there. Like there's nothing about him when he gets up there to suggest that, oh, hey, this is going to go well. And it does, right? Like he he starts picking up steam halfway through his speech and he's not really even talking about any policy positions, right? He's just like, again, speaking from the heart, trying to identify values that everyone can agree on, try to unite people, uh, which is something that uh, I think more politicians should do, right? The phrase, we need to be Americans, not Republicans and Democrats is used so much in this uh, this uh, film. And it just makes me think back to the candidate in the 2016 election who was saying the same thing and uh, people laughed at him for it. But Anyway, we won't get into that, but I, I think Stevens. You don't want to say who it was, even though I think we both know who it was. Well, it was the guy that I supported, but um, yes, John Casey. Yes, um, but anyway, uh, Stevens' speech is is a really compelling scene. I like what he has to say. I like the way he says it, and I love seeing the reaction of the people. And that is the most optimistic moment in the movie for me, and so it stands out. So I, I really like that scene. Uh, let's put a score on it, Scott. What would you give Boy State out of ten? I would give Boy State 9.2 flames on Robert McDougall's truck out of 10. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, this is my my favorite movie of the year. It's five stars. But I don't think it's the first perfect 10 of the year. I, I think, and I don't know exactly if I can point to anything. Maybe it's the Eddie thing. Like, again, I've said before, it doesn't have to be a perfect movie to be a perfect 10. Yeah. But there's With documentaries, it feels like it's the things that are missing that hold it back, not the things yeah. that are done wrong. I mean, those th- those things are more glaring yeah. errors, I think. They really drag it down. But sometimes there are just things that are missing. 
Yeah, I can't point to anything big, but it just doesn't feel right. So 9.8, this movie is is spectacular. It, again, it's essential viewing for everyone, I think, right now. Like, regardless of where your politics are, I think you're going to find something to connect to because, again, they find empathy with people all over the political spectrum in this thing, I think. So, except uh, for Ben. No empathy for Ben. Except for Ben. No. <laughs> but even Ben, like, he has, yeah, ben gets, yes. he has some qualities, right? Like, I don't think that he is the problem. I think the system, again that he, you know, thinks that he is, has to yeah. mirror is the problem. But uh, 9.8, please go check this movie out. Um, yep. It's wonderful. Uh, all right, Scott, uh, after the break, we are going to come back with some big uh, comic book movie news. We're going to have all the latest from DC Fandom this weekend, and we're going to talk about uh, a new director for a new Spider-Verse film. So uh, join us after the break for that. We'll be right back. back to this episode of some like it scott uh scott like i said before the break we are going to talk about some comic book news uh comic book movie news because there was a lot of it this past week and uh, a lot of it came yesterday uh, at dc fandom uh yesterday at the time of this recording um and if you're on social media you probably saw some of this because a lot of people were talking about the suicide squad stuff the new trailer for wonder woman 84 and of course the batman trailer scott what stood out to you what do you want to highlight here yeah, I quickly do want to talk about some other stuff. There was some Flash. There was like some update on the Flash. Like this actually might have even come up before DC fandom, but Ben Affleck will be returning as Batman in that movie. And so we'll have Ben Affleck, Michael Keaton, and Ezra Miller, um, assuming he doesn't get arrested for like shoving a lady to the ground and choking her, um, which happened. I don't know if you remember that happening, Scott, when, the, <laughs> when that video was released online. But yeah, so there's a quick update there that Batfleck is coming back and not just in the Snyder Cut because there was also Snyder Cut footage as well, which you left out. Right. Um, but yeah, I think the highlights for sure was, you know, the update on James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, the last what probably will be the last trailer for Wonder Woman 1984. And then that teaser footage or test footage. I don't even know. It's not test footage or teaser footage that we got from the Batman. I think for me, Wonder Woman 1984, I think it's cool. I was already sold on that film, to be honest. I don't know if I saw anything new in that trailer uh, than I had already besides maybe another look at cheetah from Chris, Kristen Wiggs cheetah which you know i think it's going to be interesting to see what they ultimately do with it if i'm i'm worried they're going to go like full cat on her with like the 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 animated effects there uh so I, I don't know if i should be trepidatious about the final form of cheetah here um or if it will hopefully mercifully just be some sort of more mix of i don't know human and cat less just pure whatever they did in cats and, but yeah no i think that footage was cool i think probably the biggest thing in my opinion to talk about is actually the suicide squad stuff because i think they got a lot of i mean one i think they just basically pretty much revealed the whole cast of characters and they dropped a trailer scott and you know i don't know if you actually watched this stuff that i sent you yesterday when it was most. happening most of it yeah if you watch the trailer um that they released like how excited are you to see what looks like a much more exciting Suicide Squad with Harley Quinn at the center of it? Because I think that her her part in that in particular, I was not surprised by because, again, I think that that is like the the figurehead at this point with Will Smith having dropped out of the sequel uh, to the to the film. But overall, I'd be more curious what you thought of the Suicide Squad, because I think it's one of those things with how much you liked Harley Quinn earlier this year. 
Uh, I'm curious if you are kind of all in on this James Gunn take on Suicide Squad because he is such a successful comic book filmmaker, <laughs> yeah. and even with obscure properties. Yeah, I mean, look, that is obviously encouraging, right? The Harley Quinn thing, the fact that she is going to be at the center of it. I think that that is the smart thing to do. She's very compelling. She just had a movie come out this year that was well-received for the most part by critics. Um, maybe not quite as much by fans, but still. Um, I think that I am always trepidatious about DC trailers. That is, I'm going to be a broken record about that because the first Suicide Squad trailer, right, Rock? Remember that one, Scott? Like that was like I the... don't actually. <laughs> Seriously, you don't? Okay. Well, that I mean No, I do. Jared Leto was like in it a ton. Well, people lost their cool. minds when that trailer came out. They're like, this is gonna be the greatest film ever. Batman versus Superman had really good trailers. Batman uh, versus Superman did have really good trailers. You also they, watch your mouth. You haven't even seen it. They know how to cut a trailer. They do not know how to cut a movie, um, most of the time. Yeah. And so no matter how awesome a movie looks, if it is coming from this DCEU uh label even though they are on a one movie winning streak for me with uh, birds of prey, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a, a little bit hesitant. So, and also you're talking about James Gunn, right? I'm not the biggest guardians of the galaxy fan. Like I have never seen the second one and I uh, like the first one, but not nearly on the level of a lot of people, including you, Scott, like I, yeah, I kind of my favorites in the MCU. It's, it's very mid tier to me. I kind of, didn't really get what the fuss was about, but I saw it once in theaters. That was it. Um, so I think there are definitely reasons for me to be hesitant about this, despite right, right again, looking like something that is up my alley. Of course, I hope it's going to be a good. Of, of course, I hope that he yeah. comes through and delivers. But until I sit down and see the movie, I'm not going to believe that that's the case, probably. Okay, well, then let's turn our attention to the last bit of news. I will throw in one more thing, since I know that you loved Shazam so much. The sequel also had a panel, Shazam. Yeah. Uh, Gods of Fury, I think, is the name of the sequel, which is a weird name for me. But we can move past past that, because the Batman is the other big thing to talk about. Not under the DCEU banner, or is it? I don't even know. doesn't matter. Uh, is there a DCEU banner at all anymore? There is a DCEU banner. There okay. is there Because Joker is under DC, but not DCEU. Okay, yeah. Um, I think that this might just be an alternate universe within the DC because there's the multiverse. Because yeah, multiverse, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say oh, we don't need to dive too much into it, but like the whole Flash movie is going to be about combining multiverses and things like that. Yeah. Um, anyway, moving past that, we got the Batman footage, and this is of course Matt Reeves is Bat the Batman with Robert Pattinson and Scott. I'm not gonna ask you about what you thought of Robert Pattinson and the Batman and this very I will say rookie looking Batman in terms of like how the suit is the suit is pieced together with a lot of like what just feels like he just cut some metal in in the back cave and slapped it on his chest which i don't I, that's not a complaint i think that's a very different look and clearly what what's going on is i don't know has an has a dceu film ever been called angsty i think they have been but this looks like another version of an angsty batman that could be interesting i'm not totally sold on it but that's neither here nor there but i want to ask you this question what did you think of zoe kravitz as catwoman i mean of course I'm on board. I love her. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know you do. That's why I'm asking. Yeah, no, that that uh, that was a definite standout part of the trailer for me. We didn't see that much of her, but uh, no, we didn't. that was uh, a standout part. But yeah, no, I think he he's I think Jeffrey Wright looks really good in this. I saw somebody say this is the A24 Batman. And I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, you could you could see uh, how you could get that impression from the trailer. Like, uh, you know, the the broodiness, the emoness, the angstiness, like you're saying. Sure, like, but it goes well with Batman. I think, like, if there's a superhero universe to me where that fits in, I think it is Batman. Am I like super excited about seeing another dark take on Batman? Another like, uh, 
what does he say? I'm vengeance or something in the trailer. Like, yeah, I don't know because Christopher Nolan did it so well. Um, but look, there's good people involved with this thing. Like I haven't really seen much of Matt Reeves's work, but people speak highly of him. Most of his stuff is well received. Have you not seen the apes movies? No, I haven't. I've seen the first one, but I don't they're think good. he did that one. I think that was Rupert Wyatt. But um, it was Rupert Wyatt, yeah. But the, yeah. The, they're good. Yeah, no, and that's what I hear. I, I should watch them. But um, yeah. But I mean, the cast is 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 solid. Like, I don't. I like Batman. He's probably my favorite. Well, no, Spider Man's my favorite, but he's probably he's up there for my favorite superhero. Um, I don't know what else I have to say. Again, I, I just kind of am biding my time until i see this movie to to really make up my mind which is always a good thing you should always wait till you watch the movie to make up your mind but um i i uh i am cautiously optimistic like i said on twitter last night i was like the the trailer for this movie was good but so were the trailers for suicide squad and rise of skywalker so I am ready to get hurt again. In other words, I will be there. I will see this movie. Absolutely. But I am not counting my chickens until I do. Yeah, no, I think it look, it looks interesting. I'm not. Uh, look, I, I, Jay, you know, on the frequent, frequent guest on the podcast for our countdown series was very excited about all this last night. And I'll be honest, Scott, I thought it was fine. I didn't even think it was that great, to be honest. It was fine. But of course, I'm here for it. Of course, I'm going to watch it. This I don't need to be sold on a Batman movie. Um, I'm going to go watch it. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't get as excited as Jay or some other people on Twitter for sure. Yeah, no, I, again, I think people need to learn from their mistakes and getting excited about trailers. Like, I don't know these sometimes like we've seen it both ways, right? Like trailers look really good and then the movies don't turn out to be good. And then we've seen it the other way around bad trailers, good movie. I mean, edge of tomorrow, bad trailer, great movie. Um, there's other examples out there as well, but um, yeah, like I just, don't put too much stock in trailers, particularly when they come from a, uh, you know, label with a bad track record like DC. Uh, all right, Scott, other thing to talk about comic book related, but on the Marvel side of things. And that is uh, the director for a new live action Spider-Verse film, right? So we do not, uh, this, this is not related to the animated uh, Spider-Verse movies that, you know, there's a couple that are out there. There's the next. They could be related. They could be related. They could, they could, right. But this is not, you know, an animated film. It's not uh, Spider-Gwen or the Spider-Verse sequel that is coming out. It's not any of those other projects that we know about. But Olivia Wilde's got um, adding another project to her, her list. She's got several things, I believe, now that she has coming down the pipeline. Obviously, Booksmart made a really, really good impression, and it's easy to see why. It was a great film. But, um, yeah, she's going to be busy, and she's you know she's getting her team back, which I find interesting, right? Because Katie Silberman, and who is her chief you know screenwriter that works with her on on stuff, worked with her on Booksmart, working with her on uh, other films, um, mainly known for comedies, right? And so, I mean, I think that that feel could totally work for uh, for a Spider Verse. I mean, like, look, look, Sp- Spider Man into the Spider Verse had plenty of great comedy in it. The the fun loving spirit of it, I think, really contributed to that film, but. Um, it will be interesting to see how she makes the leap from from comedy, you know, to a comic book film, um, to you know, a, a big ticket film. But I'm excited about this. It's great to see another female get, director getting involved. Obviously, we didn't talk too much. I don't think there's that much to say. But Nia DaCosta is going to get Captain Marvel too now. Um, so female director there in the MCU. This not in the MCU, probably. Who knows? But um, but uh, she, it's it's not because the whole Sony thing. But um, she, the, whatever the hell Sony's calling yeah. the Sony Pictures 
universe of spider characters or whatever some really dumbass name they have over Get there ready for, for the uh, penny parker movie but no um yeah i think i think this is great news i am really interested to see what someone like olivia wilde can do with a, a superhero film like again i we i feel like we talked about this recently but uh this is the direction that i want superhero movies to to go in right of getting interesting directors you know, like they did in the MCU with like a Taika Waititi or a Ryan Coogler, not just getting a sort of anonymous director who is going to churn out, like even the Russo brothers, right? Like they're great directors. They did, they made some of the best films in the MCU. We talked about how great they, great of a job they did as directors, but they are not the type to like put their own style on a film, right? Like they, they are, are very much, we're going to give you what you want. And I want uh, to see something a little different. I want to see the MCU go in a direction now that we're past that and and Marvel go in a direction now that we are past sort of that era of, of the MCU and Marvel. So I'm excited for this. I imagine you are as well. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely. When I saw this news, I was surprised first. Um, but second, I was really happy about it. Yeah, it's not the Spider-Verse sequel or spinoff they're talking about. But yeah, you're right. Her and Katie Silberman, they certainly have a good business going for them. Yes, they've only done one film together so far, but they're doing, was it Don't Don't You Worry, Darling, or whatever the other film is they're doing together. Yeah. And they might be doing even another film too, I think, over at Universal. Uh, I, I can't remember right now, but she's rumored. She's, they're connected together uh, on a bunch of different projects in motion right now. And that's really exciting because anyone who's listened to a single episode of our podcast will probably know how big of a Booksmart fan I am. And I would love to see you know, Caitlin Deaver as Spider-Woman. Uh, I'm not sure which Spider-Woman she'll be doing. I mean, if it's the original um, Spider-Woman, it'll be, oh, I'm forgetting right now. Is it Jessica? Right. Some... Yeah, I, I, I forgot to bring that up. But yeah, we don't know exactly. It's going to be a Spider-Woman film. It's going to be a female protagonist-led film. That's what we know. Probably yeah. a Spider-Woman film. There are various iterations it, of Spider-Woman. Yeah. There is Gwen Stacy. There are other people as well. Yeah. So Jessica we Drew is the original, is the original yeah. Spider-Woman um, and was actually not like not at, I mean has straddled the line between hero and villain actually across multiple um, different I shouldn't say timelines but at different periods of of her arc she is both a hero and and a villain in certain scenarios and so if they go with that character I mean that would be a completely new character maybe it'll be Gwen Stacy maybe it'll be MJ you know they've all worn the mask as Spider Woman at one point or another and yeah I think that maybe it's not a Spider Woman movie at all. There's been a bunch of movies that have been in motion, talked about over at Sony. There was a Spider-Woman movie rumored for a while. There's also this Madam Web movie as well that's been rumored for a long time that I think is separate from Spider-Woman, but maybe it's the same thing. I'm not sure. But there's a lot of there's so many projects in that Sony Pictures universe uh, with spider characters over there going on that are in motion that I think anything is probably possible. And frankly, let Olivia Wilde choose what she wants to do, honestly, because I think that she earned even after only just one movie she's earned that from me uh from my perspective at least just from how good and original and authentic and fun Booksmart was and you say yes it's making the leap from a comedy to an to a sorry to a superhero comic book type movie i wouldn't be surprised if this movie ends up being not maybe maybe a very similar flavor i'm not saying the same yeah. kind of comedy it won't be as straight laced of a comedy as a book smart is but wouldn't surprise me at all if that's the sort of feel that and vibe that the movie ultimately gets and one thing that I really appreciate about Olivia Wilde and how I think she was able to, to pull such fantastic performances from young actors and actresses is just how comfortable she makes all of them feel on set. And so I really hope to see that at work in this Spider-Woman movie or whatever this movie ends up becoming. 
Um, and so I hope she gets a lot of young, and I'd expect so, right? Because that's what she excelled at the Booksmart. A lot of young, um, hopefully uh, young, very talented actors and actresses for this film. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing, uh, to, you know, to, to, to make the jump from a comedy to a, a Spider-Verse movie. It's another thing to make the jump from a comedy to, like, a Batman movie. Like, again, that, there's totally different. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's a lot easier of a jump. It's not as big of a jump uh, as I'm making it out to be, um, you know, to, to go to a Spider-Verse film as opposed to, like, like I said, like a Batman film. But still, it, it will be interesting to see. And, she, uh, you know, to your point, we are going to get to see, you know, how she makes the jump to different genres. She's going to be doing that Don't You Worry Darling film, like you mentioned. Don't Worry Darling. That's more of a thriller uh, than, than a comedy. Um, but that... More a thriller than a comedy. Guaranteed that's going to be more of a thriller than a comedy. <laughs> But uh, that project looks really exciting with, you know, Florence Pugh, Shia LaBeouf, uh, Dakota Johnson, all tapped to star in this thing, I think. Reasonably good cast, some might say. Really interesting. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but I have high hopes for Katie Silverman. She's a good writer. She also wrote Set It Up, which is a film I really like. So, um, yeah, I, I think this should be interesting. But, Scott, I think that's about it for uh, for this week's episode of Some Like It. Scott, where can our listeners find you on Twitter? At Shelson 2013 and I am at Scarvy Dent. Uh, don't forget also about our podcast Patreon page, patreon.com slash media plug pods. If you want to support us over there, uh, we have various tiers. Even if you can't support us over there, please like, rate, review, subscribe, do all of the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. Check out all of our other podcasts, Champs Lunch, uh, the Countdown series, um, and subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the description do all of the the good things that are related to this podcast. And of course, we hope you will be back for next week. Scott, we're doing it next week. Are we going to review? We are probably going to review the film that has been years and years in the making. The film maybe not. Never thought would uh, was going to come out. Yeah, maybe it wasn't years in the making. It's probably been finished for about three years, but uh, that we never thought was going to come out. And then is the movie that comes out like right after theaters reopen uh you know after covid it, it's almost too good to write the script but the new mutants next Ooh. week i like it scott i can't believe i'm saying that but hey, uh, it can still change we're feet yeah. is out it, it it can and it probably will but uh we'll see uh first <laughs> until then for scott shelton uh i'm scott harvey we'll see you next time thanks for listening guys yeah.